and unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect karma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning. Good morning. It's so nice to see so many people in the Zendo. A lot of familiar faces and for me, not yet known faces. Um, and hello out there. Good morning, Hosan. Good morning. So nice to hear your voice. I miss you. I think we're seeing an empty chair, but we're doing our best. So I have something to get off my chest right away that I wasn't planning on saying. But I want to apologize deeply to all of you because I believe that I am implicated in the power outage. <laughs> um, the new heater was plugged in in the corner to a wall outlet, and this morning it was moved to the other side of the room, and the available, I'm afraid to say this in front of Libby, she's online, um, the available outlet was actually an extension cord, which is not a good idea for a ball heater, a heater. And I plugged it in because it was cold. And not really registering that I had actually articulated to myself before that it was not a good idea, but it wasn't available to me at that moment. And also that same electrical extension cord had the other heater plugged into it. So between the two of them, I think that's, so I'm very sorry. <laughs> and, and that's not the end of it. Um, <laughs> yesterday, I was going to talk about this later, but I'm going to just throw this into this category. Yesterday, while I was cooking, conditions arose that uh, in which the power cord to the rice cooker got melted on the stove before it was put into use for fortune wasn't plugged in it was it was sat in place and something else was happening on the stove and um then somebody said to me oh look what happened so anyway that i'm really sorry about that <laughs> And as, as a member of the Building and Grounds Committee, I would recommend that I be stay, kept away from electrical appliances. <laughs> um, well, I did contemplate not admitting, but then I thought, how could I give this talk <laughs> if I didn't? So I was, so, so you know, this, so she didn't go as planned. We were planning on hearing from Hosan, well, you know, multiple days. And pretty much at the last minute, like only a few days ago, we were confirmed that that couldn't happen. And so, but there wasn't any chance for all of us to talk about what the theme was or anything. But remarkably, and I actually want to talk about this later, but I'm just going to mention it now. The first two speakers, if you weren't here earlier in the week, um, started with exactly the same theme and actually had picked the same passage to read from Sojourn. And the theme was, what are we doing here? <laughs> and part of the initial answer was, we're not trying to fix anything. And you know, it went between two people, that's kind of a coincidence. It happened that without consulting with those two people, 
I had the exact same opening. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to unpack that a little bit. Um, the redundancy, the apparent redundancy of that. And I would like to actually focus not on what we are not doing, but also what we're doing. And I've spent the last many months sort of buried and in diving into cultivating the empty field, which is Hongshu. And I, I'd like to read a passage, and if you're not used to his language, it might be, it might be a little unpacking, but I, I'd like to, in, like for your indulgence, I'd like to read it again after I've made some comments and see if it sounds different to you the second time, and then we can have a discussion about it. So here's Hanshu, um, and this is from his practice instructions uh, regarding silent illumination. Silent illumination is his term for zazen. The field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. Just expand and illuminate the original path. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent illumination. When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. The empty, wide open mind is subtly and correctly illuminating. Here, you can rest and come clean, pure and lucid bright and penetrating, you can immediately return, accord, and respond to deal with events. Vast and far-reaching without boundary, secluded and pure, manifesting light, this spirit is without obstruction. Its brightness does not shine out, but can be called empty and inherent, inherently radiant, its brightness inherently purifying, transcends causal conditions beyond subject and object. Right in here, right in here, the central pivot turns, the gateway opens. You accord and respond without laboring and accomplish without hindrance. Everywhere, turn around freely, not following conditions, not falling into classifications, facing everything, let go and attain stability. Stay with that, just as that. Stay with this, just as this. That and this are mixed together with no discrimination as to their places. An ancient said that non-mind enacts and fulfills the way of non-mind. With thoughts clear, sitting silently, wander into the center of the circle of wonder. I'm gonna say that part again because my favorite part. Wander into the center of the circle of wonder. This is how you must penetrate and study. So a little bit, uh, just a few details about Hansha. He lived from 1091 to 1157. He's one of our Chinese ancestors. His name means vast wisdom. 
and he's known as the collector of the koans for the Book of Serenity. And his teacher, uh, Yuan Wu, is the one who collected the koans for the Blue Cliff Record. So there's a koan study in there with this fellow. Now, here's even more interesting. He became the abbot of Zingde, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, monastery on Mount Tiantong. And those of you will know, remember, Mount Tiantong is the place where Dogen went to study and found his true teacher, Rui Zheng. Hongzhi preceded him as abbot. He was there for 30 years. And he found it in disrepair and renovated it. And eventually, it housed 1,200 monks. Um, I believe that he died as abbot there. His Japanese name, this is a fun fact, is Wanchi Shogaku. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Shogaku is the name of this temple, Shogakuji. I don't know the exact origins. I think Suzuki Roshi had something to do with it, but I'm not sure if this is what he was calling on. And um, when Dogen came to uh, Mount Tiantong, it was only 70 years after Hongqi had died. Now, dig that. We're exactly or almost very close to 70 years beyond, from, away from when Suzuki Roshi landed in the United States. And he is a living memory for us because we have people who studied with him, right? Um, so you can feel how fresh the transmission is between Dogen and Honshu. And, and Dogen called him an ancient Buddha, although he'd never met him. And Ruijing did also. Just because it might be relevant later, Dogen's awakening words from Ruijing were cast off body and mind. If you ever wondered why we use that phrase so much. That's probably why. So back to what is Hanshu talking about? You know, what is non-mind? And there I even try to address what is emptiness. <laughs> um, Uchiyama, I'm going to rely on Uchiyama. Uchiyama is a, was a contemporary abbot at Antaiji um, and the teacher of, is it right, Okamura? Is that right? Yeah. And, and, he, and he also, before he became a monk, had several degrees in Western philosophy. He was interested in the West, so there is a way in which Uchiyama had the same sort of feeling that Suzuki did about a relationship with the West. Ujiyama calls non-mind the universal self. And that Zazen is a fresh opportunity to look at what you imagine yourself to be. I should say, who you imagine yourself to be. And how would you do this? How would we do this? I believe it's by softening and letting go of the boundary between self and everything else. And that might sound daunting or maybe even frightening, but I want to reassure you that it's not about giving up self or losing self. It's about understand, it's about expanding your understanding of what self is, to include even more, to, to understand that you are greater than you can imagine yourself to be, that you can even understand, that we can even understand. That self is simultaneously personal and universal. And that in your own being, in our own being, we are the wide open 
field of emptiness that Hancho is talking about cultivating. So emptiness is not an easy concept to wrestle with. And I don't pretend to have wrestled with it completely. I'm going to propose that it might be useful to think about it not as a void, not as not containing anything, but as the absence of classifications and the absence of boundaries or seams and edges is sometimes what the sages use as a description. The whole of everything, including everything, without boundaries. And Dogen calls this process of realization of the expanded self, G-U-U Zamai, translated as the Samadhi of the self-receiving and employing. It's a little hard to unpack, but I'm thinking that it's the spirit of the self perceiving its true nature and turning around and putting it to work in the world, receiving and employing. Sawaki, who was um, Uchiyama's teacher, called it the self-selfing the self. Um, this is my first rakasu, and on it, um, Sojin wrote this, to you, Samadhi is the self making the self into the self. And I, I've spent a lot of years trying to figure out what that is about. Um, now, and you remember this and say it with me now, if you know it, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, uh, as well as the body and mind of others, drop away. There it is. No trace of realization remains, and this is no, and this no trace continues endlessly. That's Dogen. So, as I've been contemplating this, I think what arises naturally from this study of the self, from this silent illumination, is prajna, wisdom, which is both a mysterious way of knowing and a way of responding with appropriate action. The automatic reaching for the pillow in the middle of the night and I, I propose that we all have these moments. And part of our practice is realizing that we have these moments when they happen. Um, the, the night before the first day, I set my alarm uh, to get up early enough to get here by 5.40. And in the middle of the night, I woke up suddenly and said, I set my alarm wrong. I didn't I? Maybe I did. And I looked and I did. I had set my alarm for 540. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I contemplated and, and it started to go down to some sort of blame and self-disparaging. And then I stopped myself because I've been trying to school myself not to go down that rat hole, rat hole of blame and just say, thank you, thank you, and thank you, and feel grateful. And so I reset my alarm, and I got up in time to be here. I recall Ron calling. Um, Ron, are you there? I can't see you. I don't, I don't think so. I'll have to tell him I'll say this later. Ron, when we were studying the paramitas, he called prajna uh, parental guidance. 
maybe he had different parents than some of us. <laughs> but the wisdom of knowing how to respond, the appropriate response. Sojin once called Prajna intimacy, relationship. So that was interesting. I wrote that down. I'm not sure I understood it at the time. And before I go into what I think now it means, I want to put a pin in that and do a little sidebar for those of you who've come here after Sergeant's death, which is now almost three years ago. Um, and wanting to acknowledge that you didn't get a chance to know him or meet him and that you are no, no doubt hearing about him and you're hearing about him, you know, through those of us who knew him. And we all had very distinct and different relationships with him. I, I once looked around a room and thought, you know, there are as many sojourns as there are people in this room. And so when we cite sojourn and talk about him, we might be saying as much about ourselves as we are about him, or, or about the relationship, or something mixed up in all of that, right? Um, it's sort of the same way we figure out or we have our own relationship with Suzuki if we've never met him. We hear about him, but then we read him. And then what I would recommend to the people who didn't know Sojin is just listen to his talks. We have so many on the online available that you can hear his actual words and you can have your own relationship with Sojin. Um, so not to feel left out. Um, so Sojin about Prajna. The intimacy and relationship that is I think he's talking about the intimacy and relationship that is created by tapping into the universal self, the ground that exists under us all that we have our roots in. And I, that's why I think when Susan and Ross and I came up with this same opening, that it was, I, I just think it was more than an accident. I think we're swimming in the same sea, ocean, together, right? And it's Sojin's deep understanding that we are all interconnected, that our interconnectedness is manifested through these kinds of apparent Synchronicities. Here's Uchiyama again. To think that universal self is apart from personal self is just a limited comparison of the brain, just a variant of self versus other. Universal self or all-inclusive self is free of comparisons and includes the personal self. Self is not some fixed concept regarding who you are. It is the all-inclusive self you personally wake up to. Ujiyama, then. So between Sojin, Uchiyama, Dogen, and Hansha, what we find is this continual emphasis on the wholeness and non-separation and that nothing is external to this luminal, luminous presence of mind. But what does this look like in the day-to-day? -day? Well, I, I have kitchen practice as kind of an immediate reference. Um, when my day came, I had done a lot of prep. I was feeling pretty confident of it. But on the day itself, I found myself uncharacteristically and very anxious. Not the kind of worry anxious, but the kind of 
flashing catastrophe type definitions. Um, and, and, and I felt it viscerally in my body, and, and the only thing I could do really was to I, I acknowledge it to my crew, because I have a belief that if you are carrying around that kind of energy that you should own it so people know what's you know, working around in the room. And then we went to work. And for those of you who haven't, haven't worked in the kitchen, um, the word about that, it, there's quite a lot of focus on getting things done on time. And I hadn't realized this, but Susan reminded me of this later, that we're actually on a different schedule than we were when we learned how to do this. And this was the first time of my doing this on this schedule. And there's an hour or less prep time in the kitchen as a result. But I hadn't, I mean, I, I vaguely probably thought of it, but I really hadn't dwelt on it. They say that, I don't know if it's a fair thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. That in Zen, when the bell rings, the food is ready. In Vipassana, the food is ready when the bell rings. No, the other way around. The, the, the bell rings when the food is ready. So that's one part. Also, one is monitoring how the little batch that you did at home for two or three people translates when you you times it times five or seven, and you have this big pot that takes you don't know how long a time to cook in the way that it did at home. Um, and the seasoning is, I mean, there's a lot of mystery about all of that, making that work. And then there are, even though we have this idea that you do one thing at a time and focus on one thing at a time, in, when, you're, when you're cooking, you're actually cooking three meals. And in the morning, before breakfast, you're cooking six meals, or prepping for six meals because you're trying to get some stuff done for lunch too. So you, there are multiple things happening. And if you've noticed the kitchen, it's laid out so that the prep is here, the cooking is there, and the washing is there. It's a functional design. <clears throat> and the harmonizing of the crew is trying to just keep out of each other's way, you know, reaching for a bowl around somebody's legs and all of that kind of stuff. And it, it becomes a dance. It becomes a, a harmony. For me, I had these flashing catastrophes. Um, I realized just in time that I had not set the timer for the second side baking of the tofu. And I looked and it was fine. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. That kind of a moment. And then there was the rice cooker um, and the same. And then there was sauce that I prepared, prepared for the tofu, just didn't taste right. And I tried fixing it numerous ways. And I, I'd go away from it and come back. And, it, and I finally actually tossed it because the marinade seemed to, to do all right, but it had the same quality of, oh my God, you, oh, thank you. Um, there's probably a couple more in there, but you get, the, you get the drift. Somebody told me that Anne Lamott's prayer, Anne Lamott is a local writer, her prayer, and I would call it a mantra, is help, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> and wow. <laughs> Helps, thank you, and wow, circle of wonder. And Sashin so, so is an, an enactment of all of it, silent illumination, and moving into action, harmonizing, and touching the ground under it all. You know, and, and one of the loveliest moments in cooking is when you do the service. And the dishwasher, I mean the dishwasher, the servers join the, the cooks all and, and, and chant the Heart Sutra. And when we did it, it was so strong, the chanting was so strong and so permeating that it just changed the energy in the room and in me. I have to say that's been true, this whole sashim, the chanting has been wonderful. Um,
And I was, it allowed me to let go of all that suffering that I created for myself by my, the activity of my ego, which was, you know, is it going to be done on time? Will it be good? Will there be enough? Will be, there be too much? Yada, 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 yada. Just letting that go and handing it over. And there comes a line in the Heart Sutra that I, it's almost like one of those moments where you hear it for the first time. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva depends on prajna, paramita, and I went, yes, <laughs> right. And it comes when you don't expect it. You can't make it happen. It just, you have to just accept it when it happens and take it in and say, thank you. One of my other favorite moments is when you hand off the Buddha tray. And if you haven't been able to see the Buddha tray, it's got these little tiny Buddhas, not very hungry, but they're little tiny bowls. And the cook has put each of the little dishes in the bowls and prepared the Buddha tray. And at the, after the service, the cook holds it and the server bows. And, and the server takes the Buddha tray and the cook bows. And in that moment, I feel like I've done my best, and it's your show now. <laughs> it's your baby. You go. And off it goes. All of the food goes, and the servers are in charge. And it's like you're offering, you're offering your effort and you hand it to this next group who offers and takes their effort and offers it and puts the Buddha tray. And then kind of magically, it then it's there while we're eating and then it kind of magically disappears. It gets back to the kitchen after we're done. So, I don't know what time it is, what time is it? Ten two. So oh, good. Okay. So um, five to five two. I'm gonna read Ancho again. Do you want me to tell you a certain time? That's no, alright. <clears throat> the field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. That seems like an exhortation, but I think it's, it's a promise and an encouragement because of the word apparent. Apparent habits, we think we're stuck, we think we are really solid, but he's saying, then in all of these different ways, some of these habits are going to be kind of hard. You're going to have to grind them down. Some of them can be brushed away. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. Just expand and illuminate the original truth. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent illumination. When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. The empty, wide-open mind is subtly and correctly illuminating. Here you can rest and become clean, pure and lucid. Bright and penetrating, you can immediately return, accord, and respond to deal with events. Vast and far-reaching without boundary, secluded and pure, manifesting light, this spirit is without obstruction. Its brightness does not shine out, but can be called empty and inherently radiant. Its brightness, inherently purifying, transcends causal conditions beyond subject and object. 
right in here, the central pivot turns, the gateway opens. You accord and respond without laboring and accomplish without hindrance. Everywhere, turn around freely, not following conditions, not falling into classifications. Facing everything, let go and attain stability. I think that sentence is worth a whole nother talk, actually, because the facing everything is a very big challenge. Very big challenge. And there's a range of ways to face. And so I'm not trying to impact that today, but I just want to footnote it that way. Stay with that, just as that. Stay with this, just as this. This and that are mixed together with no discrimination as to their places. And ancient, and in this case, ancient is capitalized, so you might imagine who he's talking about. An ancient said that non-mind enacts and fulfills the way of non-mind. With thoughts clear, sitting silently, wander into the center of the circle of wonder. I want to emphasize the word wander because if you haven't experienced zazen as a circle of wonder, <laughs> it's okay. It's not, it does, it's, not a, it's not a prescription. What he's saying is that it's an accident. You want, it's not like you're going somewhere. You, the, the word wander implies that you happened into it, that, it, that it, if it happens, you happened into it. You know, Sojin used to say, enlightenment is an accident, and sitting zazen makes you accident prone. So it's that feeling. This is how you must penetrate and study. So here's my, my own mantra and response to what we're doing here. We are here to practice just being. Uh, we're here to give up trying to get somewhere. This is a practice for me. And I encourage you to rest. Rest in yourself. Rest in your still center. Rest in your own inner wisdom. So please let me know what you're thinking. Can you repeat it? <coughs> Which one? My mantra. No need to read <laughs> it. My own mantra is to just be. Which turns out to be remarkably difficult. Actually. Um, it's part of not fixing anything. But it also means that I need to give up the idea that I have to do something in order to be worthy. That worthiness is already there. Just be. That's my mantra. And the second one is give up. 
trying to get somewhere, which is probably related. <laughs> Colleen. So um, I may not know all your no names, and for the sake of people online and other people in the room, would you say your name before you say something? Um, I loved what you said about anxiety. I feel like I've seen you do this um, on your anxiety. And what I'm wondering is, um, what do you do when it's not coming from you? It's coming from somebody else, but you feel it. What's the helpful, what's the helpful mm -hmm. move there? Well, I think for me that other people's anxiety is not a problem if they own it. If they say, I'm anxious and I'm anxious about this, then that's easy, right? Right, but I like when they don't own it. When, they, when someone doesn't own it, then the way it often gets expressed is I'm anxious, and the reason I'm anxious is because you're doing something. Or there's something wrong in what's going on in the universe, and we have to change it. And then the issue is what, is what is arising for that person and what is actually going on, and figuring out how to sort that. What is actually the problem, and what is actually a response in terms of the person. And that, um, that really depends on how well you know the person, you know, what you can do about it. Um, and if you had something in mind about it, if it's an intimate, that, that's, that's an obvious, which is you got to talk about it. What are you anxious about? Why are you anxious? Is there something I'm doing? Do we have, what do we, what are, what, what is the source? You know, you can unpack it. And, and, and in people in Saga, we can do that with each other, too. Um, yeah. Thank you for your talk. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. I wonder, it, it says in the reading to Accord and respond. It's a sort of two-step move. Just in that according, maybe you could talk about that. And you know, in that moment when you're like, oh crap, maybe I ruined the tofu. Like, what? Like, what is that in that moment? What does that look like before you respond? You know, I, I thank you for picking up on that because uh, I have pondered that word as well, and particularly even just before when I was reading my notes. And I, I, the way that I read it, the way I experience it, is that there's a step in there of acceptance, accord, being in accordance with something, being in harmony with it, or being willing to go with what is. Um, and so there is, a, there is a moment in the kitchen where you say to yourself, many cooks before me have ruined a meal or have ruined a dish and have served burned rice or whatever. <laughs> I mean, things happen. And so go with it. Go with the sauce into the compost, you know. Um, it, it is that. Uh, Actually, for me, the act is often more a matter of letting go of my resistance. It seems, it seems like maybe it's those uh, habits that begin the first two lines, right? It's those sort of things nice. that seem rock solid that need to dissolve before the mm -hmm. course. Right. I, I didn't read one of the passages, but what what he also says is let go of your ingrained ideas this is the other way so your expectation it's supposed to be like this supposed to have sauce on it 
a mark. But I've never experienced silence in this room, but sometimes I can remember to listen. Where do you find silence? This is not the silence of the absence of sound. Maybe the word stillness would work as well. I mean, one of the reasons I like Hansha is because um, when, as I was reading it, I realized where Sojin got my name, which has always been difficult for me to understand. My, the second name, Dharma name, is um, Stable Centaur. Also could be Still Centaur. And, and I imagine it as the, the pivot point, and actually pivot is a word that Hanshi uses too, in a gyroscope. It, it's that place that is still while there's movement around it. There's lots of noise around here, but there's stillness. This is Carolyn. Yeah. Um, what is just being, and how do you practice that? Just thinking about all the things you do and you know, it must take a certain amount of drive and consent. Um, so how do you practice just being? I do a lot of things. That's true. And I, there's a lot of things I enjoy doing. And there's a difference between enjoying doing something and being driven to do it because you think you ought to or because you think it'll make somebody happy or you think whatever you think it'll justify your existence. Um, so when I say it's a an edge that I'm working, what it means is that I I, I return, I, I, I notice when I feel driven by my activity versus when it's flowing or where I'm enjoying it. And I notice, I have, since I've been taking this as a kind of mantra, I've been noticing that I need time when I am just sitting not only in Zazen, but with a cup of tea in the backyard, just staring at trees, just with empty, open space and no schedule. Um, Darlene Cohen used to recommend that you take a whole day of nothing scheduled every week. It was a bridge too far for me at the time when I read that. But I, I understand how in, in the world we live in, everything, it's so busy that, that you, you have to come back. You, you know, you get busy and you have to come back. I have to say that I have to return to unplanned, unstructured, just being. I guess I'm wondering, being includes doing an action. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you could be cooking for sashimi with all the uh, moving parts. Absolutely. And just be right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Sue, 
Thank you for the talk. It's amazing. And I, when you first started talking about uh, the electricity and your responsibility in it, I was wondering if uh, Libby's online, if she has some words. <laughs> Thank you. Libby, did you hear that? <clears throat> Would you like to unmute yourself? <laughs> You know, I didn't hear it. Could you, could you repeat it for me? That, that was Sue Osher asking if you had anything to say about the electricity problem. <laughs> As you said, my dear, stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bows. I, I will tell one story on myself about that. My father was an electrical engineer. <laughs> and forever, I, and he died when I was 11, so I don't have a lot of memories of him. But as an adult, I loved standing about 12 feet back from the wall and yanking that sucker out of the wall. <laughs> and I learned from my brother, that he, my father, was adamant about going up to the plug and pulling it out. And I realized that in some way I had osmosisly brought that into myself, you know, that, you know, go up to the wall. And so I defiantly was going, you know. And one time at work, I was, I was doing that with one of those heavy equipment things, which has a big plug on it like this, and I yanked it, and I just watched as the thing clocked me. And I went, that's why you don't do that. <laughs> so I'm a hard learner in this, all of you. <laughs> I guess we should stop here. <laughs>